Let's do that hockey. And the Panthers have numbers up ice. Radko Gudis going to the net. Cousins, wait, drag, shoot, scores! Game winner! Series clincher! Nick Cousins and the Panthers are moving on! Welcome back, everybody, to the DPR show. This is going to be the Dauber Prospects Report number five. We're going to be talking about the American Hockey League, some playoff prospects and rookies that are worth your while getting to know in fantasy hockey. I'll be your host, Peter Harling, and joining me again is co-host Victor Nuno and the man behind the mic that makes all the magic happen, Evan Sabarin. Today, we're going to be talking American Hockey League prospects, and I'm pretty excited about the guests we're going to have on joining us. None other than Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, their American Hockey League expert. And I also want to take a moment to give a little recognition to our creative logo creator, Kevin Longwell. You can follow him on, on Instagram at Kevin Longwell, just like it sounds. How you doing, Victor? I'm doing awesome. Sorry about your Leafs, buddy. Now they got farther than they should have. How are you holding up? I'm doing all right. I, I was a little cheesed on on that goal. There was definitely an interference play by Gudas there. That was uh, a penalty all day long, if you ask me. Why the Leaf defenseman let him pull him out of position with his stick and didn't just drop his stick. And since they weren't calling penalties, he could have just punched whoever scored the goal in the face right before he shot, if anything goes. But that's not me being bitter. To me, it was completely classless too. what Gudas did right afterwards, like yelling in Joseph Wall's face, like, come on, man. First, you create a penalty on the game winning goal that wasn't called. And then and then you yell in a rookie's face because you just, you know, advanced. And it's like, come on, that's that's pretty, pretty classless, in my opinion. You know, I guess I just chalked that up to it's a very emotional moment. Hopefully feels a little a little shame. You feel shame, you know, mm-hmm. and then you get free. Uh, well, we'll get over it. That kid seems to be pretty collected and calm. Well, what do you say we talk a little American Hockey League playoffs, huh? Players that raise their level of performance in the postseason are noteworthy. It shows that they're ready for a higher level of hockey. And the only level higher than the American Hockey League is the NHL. So it's a great way to gauge the readiness of some of your fantasy hockey prospects that you got on your on your miners roster. All right. So now we're going to be joined by our guest, the one and only Jacob Stoller from the hockey news. He's, as I mentioned, their expert on the American hockey league. So let's get right into it. Jacob, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. You can follow him on, on Twitter. I'll just get that out of the way right out of the gate here. JL Stoller, S T O L L E R capital J L S. And he is a great source of information for all things happening in the American Hockey League. Yeah. So this episode, we're going to be talking about some some prospects in the American Hockey League that are having a a really good season, either a rookie season or a good playoff and how they might be relevant to some fantasy hockey teams. First guy we want to talk about is Joachim Kemmel, five foot 11 right winger. He's a little undersized sniper coming out of Finland. Nashville selected him back in 2022, 17th overall in the first round. He's played the last couple seasons in the Liga with JYP, and he's got a career 83 games played, 
28 goals and 11 assists for 39 points or just under half a point a game, 0.47. After he finished his second season in Liga this year, he came over and, and finished the year in the American Hockey League, playing with the Nashville affiliate, the Milwaukee Admirals. 14 games is what he got in at the end of the season. So it's a bit of a short sample size, but he put up six goals and seven assists for 13 points or just under a point a game, 0.93. So Jacob, here's a player with a high draft pedigree. We saw his upside, the World Juniors. He had a great shot there that was on display, showcased some some scoring ability. But his production in Liga kind of maybe left a little bit cool on him, not really being a prolific scorer at the pro level over in, in Europe. I'm wondering if that might be because of a lack of ice time. The early returns in the AHL are very promising, but it's a small sample size, as I said. And we can see players come in and finish the year coming out of Europe or or the NCAA, have a really great run at the end of the year, point a game player. And then in their first full season, they're back down to their usual half a point per game kind of pace. So looking forward, what what should we project from Kemmel? Is he that good? Is it time to to buy up some Yoakum Kemmel fantasy stock or is this a sell high opportunity? Yeah, I'm not overly familiar with the Liga situation, like with how or why he didn't produce the way that I think many expected him. But what I can tell you is, you know, since coming over, the fact that at 18 years old, he's not just playing the AHL, he was actually towards the end there you know, thriving at 18 years old in games where, you know, Milwaukee was trying to get first place position. They had a lot of their top guys in Nashville. So Kill was thrown right into the mix and he's excelled. So that's very promising. I think what a lot of coaches I can tell you in the HL do like about him, he's got the compete that you want in a sub six foot guy to, to earn coaches trust, which is really important. And then in terms of the raw tools, he has an absolute rifle of a shot. And I think that if you're looking for upside in terms of trajectory, think like, you know, Ali Tolvin and and Victor Arvidsson kind of mix in the sense of like, I don't know if Kimmel's going to be like a first line winger that you are kind of harvesting in your, in your future pool or whatever right now. But I think he'll for sure be good for 20 to 25 goals. And I think that he has a similar profile of of Tolvin, but the one difference is he can get to the inside a lot better, which is kind of a a determining factor with a lot of these guys. Can offense translate well? Are they doing the right things? And usually with that is, okay, are they getting to the home plate area? Are they able to produce offense from the middle of the ice? With Kimmel, he is. And I think that's especially encouraging given how throughout the year he went from playing on a bigger ice surface in a lower role, right to the HL, smaller ice surface, and he was relied on right away. So yeah, I'm pretty high on him. Let's hit another prospect and talk about New Jersey Devils prospect, Graham Clark. He's the older brother of Los Angeles Kings, Brant Clark, who might be a more Mm. familiar name. 22 years old. He's a six foot right winger. Drafted in 2019, 80th overall in the third round by the Devils. Right now, he's in his third season in the American Hockey League, and he's having what I would consider for him to be a breakout season. 68 games, 25 goals, and 38 assists for 58 points, uh, and that leads the team in scoring. Mm -hmm. His play in the postseason improved, scoring six points in six games, including a three-point game and a series loss to Toronto. So, Jacob, is this a player we're projecting to the NHL? And could that happen as soon as this fall with the likes of Tatar, Hala, and Wood all set to be UFAs and opening up roster spots? Well, this is the year we're going to find out, right? So it's a big summer for him. 
one thing I will say about Graham Clark is, is last year, like, and I, I licensed data from, from Instat analytics. And one of the things I really like to look at it is, is scoring chances because a lot of the times what I've noticed, and I said this before on a lot of programs is players that produce elite value of, of scoring chances typically make it to the NHL whether they become a, a scorer or not just because that ability to play inside the slot and Graham Clark you know last two years has been one of the league's best at getting into the inside but last year for instance he wasn't able to finish and this year it's completely changed so that's a one season turnover we've seen Graham Clark kind of execute on one of his biggest shortcomings so now you're asking me is he going to be an NHL player well it's going to come down to a lot of things is Graham Clark a good enough player to play in your top six no so it comes down to can Graham Clark give you good minutes in the middle six role and, and kind of be a, an energy guy or whatnot or, or play on a alongside some, some players and be a good four checker? I think so. It's really going to come down to how he enters campus upcoming year. It's a big thing with Graham Clark. I think that even last year, that's a lot of what I heard. And this year, he seemed to have you know, raised eyebrows and, and gotten better point totals and whatnot. I still think he's kind of on the edge there as a tweener. I still think he, I, I just I still think he's a good AHL player. I don't know at least with the Devils, and I know it's it's a it's a cookie cutter answer, but it's like you have to look at it with each situation. Like okay, on New Jersey depth chart, like where does he fit in? I don't really see him as a as a middle six piece. Honestly, I don't see him being better than what he could get a free agency or on the trade market or whatnot. So. I don't know. I, th- I, th- I don't know if he's an NHL player. If I had to, to say now, as you can probably tell, I would side with no, to be honest. Well, that's interesting. He's got one more year to go on his contract, so he's still yeah. going to be minor eligible next year. So they can send him back down for another season in the American Hockey League before they're really, they're really forced to right. pooper get off the pot. Like Graham Clark's had a good season this year, but he's not knocking on the door for an opportunity. I would, I would say like, yeah, he 58 points, 68 games, very strong playoff, but the devils have one of the best prospect pools. Still, they still have pieces up front. I would expect, you know, as we saw, like the playoffs, for example, they're one of the best rush teams. A lot of their personnel will be there next year. You mentioned some guys that are leaving for sure, but I don't know if Graham Clark really fits with them stylistically, to be honest with you. I don't think he has, the pop and run and gun attributes to really make an impact there. So yeah, that's what I think about him. He could be the next in a long list of players who are really good in the American hockey league, but for yeah. some reason or another, just can't crack in NHL. And I'm looking at Glenn Godden, Vinny Letary, totally uh, Matthew Phillips. There's, yeah. There's, there's a laundry list of names. I know the hardest guys, I'm sure, especially for listeners listening, like trying to find out for their, their pools. I will say, yeah, it's very hard from the outset when you're like, okay, these guys have pretty similar productions. Like what is it that makes this guy an NHL and this guy's not, I will say like there's, there's definitely something to be said about what that production It's like, okay, how is that production produced? Is there a heavy emphasis on home and away splits? Is it power play padded? Was he on a good power play? So those things are kind of tough to judge. I just, I don't think he has enough of the attributes to get there. Like you mentioned, Glenn Gaughan and Matthew Phillips, similar shortcomings of those guys in a sense where it's like he doesn't have one distinguishable skill that really pops but yeah sorry for going another tangent there but yeah that's great that's great that's all all good information yeah good stuff on graham clark and definitely sounds like a tweener the next guy i certainly hope he's not a tweener i'm gonna be very sad jacob and that's william eckland he is uh Uh, you know high picked by the sharks recently and some of us thought that eckland would be with the sharks most of the season and that might be good for him but i think it was actually really good to be in the ahl and really regain his confidence after being 
you know, kind of moved around in a, in a couple different places the previous year. He kind of thought he was going to be on the Sharks and kind of went back and forth between SHL. And so he just was in the HL pretty much all season, minus a little eight-game cameo. He had 41 points in 54 games for the Barracuda. Again, a not good Barracuda team. Very not good. When he and Bordalo were not on the ice, it was, it was hard to watch. And, you know, looking at some of his equivalencies, Eklund in the hockey prospecting model, he rates out almost exactly like Logan Couture, which is kind of funny, you know, future teammate potentially, whereas kind of that 60 to 70 point guy, you know, obviously there's some different characteristics there. I think, I think Couture has a better shot, you know, um, maybe different playmaking and, and speed skills. But what do you think about that comparison in terms of what he can do? And, and do you think he's ready to, to step into the NHL next year? It's a great question. So what I will say about William Eklund is no doubt he'll be an NHL player. I think he'll be a pretty good one. Now, here's the question with him is, will he be a great NHL player? Will he be sort of like, can he be a first line 65, 70 point guy? Or will he be more of a 50 point guy that you get good minutes and mileage out of it in other situations? I think that further to what you said before, Victor, like I think it was a good idea to have him in the AHL this year. I think there's no reason to have him in the NHL. I like a lot about his tools. I, I think his shot is better than I thought initially. I think he's got a good read of the game. He thinks it really well, processes things good. He doesn't blow you away in transition and maybe isn't the sexiest kind of player from, from the outside outlook. But I think Eklund has enough tools to be a number one center. I don't know necessarily like it, a lot of it come down to. And listen, if I'm speaking out of line here, you guys can let me know I, as a, I play fast talk with my friends, but I don't do a or dynasty league. That's what it's called. Right. And so from in my leagues, at least, right. Like I know the power play points are a big thing. So will William Eklund be on PP one guy? It's like, well, I think so. Yeah. I just don't know. Cause as you mentioned, like the Barracuda have been bad now two years and last year too, the same thing. It's actually affected my ability to get a read on some things because I'll watch it. And then I have to like watch. I find I can't just glean stats. I find sometimes just as a starting point. Cause it's like, Oh my God, they're horrible at every on ice thing. Cause the team sucks. So it's, it's a weird team, but I think Eklund and we're, we're going to talk about this guy. I'm sure too, Marco Rossi. Those are two guys that Eklund I'll just speak on where it's like, he has all the basics down. I'm sure coaches are really happy with the way his year went. I just don't know where on a power play he's going to slot in and how effective he'll be. That's my main kind of differentiating factor, right? Where will he play on the power play and how good will he be at it? That's where I think will be the deciding factor of his overall output, at least fantasy hockey wise. Yeah, well, you know, I'm lucky enough that I live close to San Jose. They're the team that I live closest to. And so I've I've gotten to see him live a, a few times, Eklund and the Barracuda. Again, painful when he's not on the ice, but it was really good <laughs> to see him and some of the other prospects there. And and from from what I saw and what I what I think about him is that I think he should be on the top power play, and I see him on the half wall. He kind of creates right. the you know he's kind of down there. He can shoot, yes, and I think his shot is underrated. He doesn't use it nearly enough, but he's definitely more of a playmaker. He's he's very good at creating time and space for his teammates. So. That's where I see him right now. That person on the Sharks is Thomas Hurdle, and he's very good at that too. And I don't think Eklund is better than him. So can Hurdle move somewhere else or can Eklund do something else? That is a very good question. I don't know the answer to that, but that's kind of what I see from him. And you, you make a very good point. Does he have enough other skills to to kind of be a different mold? And I think the Sharks really want him to be a 1C. I'm not sure that 
he, I think he can develop into that, but I think that's, that's really the unknown is can he really get all the way there? Or is he just like a top six winger or maybe a middle six center that does that seem right to you? Yeah, it does. I think the one counter I would say is this kind of touched on everything we've been mentioning is I I just don't know if Eklund will be good enough on a team to be the guy you put on the half wall on the power play. Does that make sense? That's a thing I struggle with. Like, will he be good enough to be the half wall guy? Is he best? Will he be the best player there? That's what it's going to come down to. Cause I think that sure. If you're from the half wall, it's the best place to do it, whatever. But it's like, you've got to be one of the best with, with your raw skill too, not just your vision, but when you're operating from out of there and be dynamic, I think he's got a lot of good tools, but I'm not sure. I'm still, he's a really tricky case. I think in a lot of ways in terms of projecting his upside, I think that especially in these formative years, like when he's adapting to the AHL, even like, think he's on another level that we're going to see next year. And I would not be sh- shocked if he's in the AHL again, just out of caution and sake or, or maturity, or maybe give him a Christmas call up. So mm-hmm. I think he's another gear to kind of hit before we have a real accurate idea of what he is. The the one more thing I'll say about that is that Eklund to me is a guy who thrives when he's around better talent. Yeah. When he, when he, and, and that's probably true for a lot of people, but he is exceptionally good at reading around the skill around him. And, you know, not every good top prospect can play with the best players on the team, but when he was up there with the sharks and they had, you know, and when he's there with Carlson and Couture and everybody, he looks not only not out of place, but like he's one of the better players that's playing with them. And so I, I, I don't disagree with you that he might be, need to be in the AHL again, but I think that he's someone who, if they have enough talent around him, he can really elevate his game. But if they, if they don't, and if the sharks continue to be not so good, then, you know, that's not going to really matter where he is. Cause they don't have a lot of talent on the Barracuda either. So that makes it kind of difficult for him to really show all the things that he can do. All right, let's move on. And, you know, Victor, when we do our organizational rankings, we might not need to talk about the Seattle Kraken prospects because we talked about quite a few of them in the past couple episodes, and I'm going to bring up one more right now. That would be Riker Evans, big six-foot left shot D. He's drafted in the second round of, I believe it was the Kraken's inaugural draft, 35th overall. He's a product of the Regina Pats in the WHL where he was an offensive defenseman. And there might've been some concern that he had some inflated stats playing with that Connor Bedard guy. Apparently he's okay, but he had 14 goals and 74 assists for 61 points in 34 games played as an AHL rookie on a veteran Coachella team this season. And by veteran team, they're a new team, but a lot of the players on the roster are veterans or tweeners as, as we would call them. So they're a strong American Hockey League team, despite the fact that it's their first year. And he scored six goals, 38 assists for 44 points in 74 games. In the playoffs, he's really taken that up a notch or two because he's a point a game player, 10 points in 10 games as a defenseman. And he's tied for third in league scoring. Aside from his offensive production, I also see some peripheral upside here too, Jacob, as as he delivers about a hit or a block shot a game. Yeah. And peripheral is uh, hits, blocks, and plus minus, or what, what's the term again? There's your standard scoring formats, which is goals and assists, right? And then okay. a lot of the leagues uh, that listen to this podcast go deeper and are, are more in depth. So they count hits, blocks, shots, face-off wins, penalty minutes, okay. power play, like 
all kinds of stuff. So got it. But specifically for defensemen, I think generally we're talking hits and blocks. Understood. Okay. So I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, speaking of peripherals. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not sure if listeners, if, if I'm going to assume if, if anyone that's somewhat familiar with my work has seen the player cards I do with Instat data is inspired by that Jay Fresh guy that does the NHL cards. I basically got data from Instat, take it all in minimum 200 minutes played, even strength, do some games for whatever. And the stats are ranked over the last three seasons. I took out the COVID year because I, there was a lot of issues with it and the percentile of per 60. So for Riker Evans, he's in the 82nd percentile for hits. Um, and that's pretty, that's pretty interesting to see because Riker Evans, like his bread and butter, let's say he makes the NHL is going to be his offensive ability, his play driving and all those things. And then it turns out that not only can he drive play, but he can be physical and gritty in a lot of ways. And I think that's really interesting. I think Balsma and uh, Dan Balsma and Coachella Valley and Jessica Campbell, assistant coach, have done such a good job with Riker Evans. It's just with this gradual progression in his first year. Like I find that in the first couple of months when I saw him, like, yeah, he was good, but and I think he was even scoring points. Yeah, he was, he was producing like pretty much off the hop, but there was like kind of those, those classic, you know, little details that, he had to figure out and gain the coach's trust, the whole song and dance, getting the HL. But now we're in the stretch run here. And as you said, point per game, like he's been great for them. And I think that I know Victor quoted hockey prospecting before, but I'm pretty sure it's on my head that Riker Evans is like a 10% star probability or something like that, or, or close to it. Pretty interesting, especially when you, you know, with where he's at, like right now, I would plot his ceiling at maybe like a four, like your number four defenseman, maybe a really good five on a great team. You know, when you saw like how Toronto loaded up on a bunch of defensemen, guys were in different roles. If he was in a big group, he'd probably be a good five, but maybe like a week or four. He could be paired with a kind of meat and potatoes guy, maybe take more risks. We'll see if he gets that trust the next level to be able to do that. And if his team, maybe assuming Seattle, stylistically enables that. Or I could see him kind of not taking away the offense, but rating it back a bit and becoming more of a steady guy because he's a good puck mover. He thinks the game pretty well. But again, so why I'm saying he's a, a good four slash five is I don't think he has the raw ability or the intensity for that matter to be a top pairing guy. So I think he's more of a, the second, third, third tier of defenseman kind of elk. Very versatile. Jack of all yeah. trades, master of none. Like everyone in the NHL can do something great. Everyone in the NHL can, right? But you like, if, if you don't have an exceptional kind of skill, sometimes it, 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 it kind of throws you into the pack of sheep, right? You're kind of a, a pedestrian in a, in a large operation. I think that with, with Riker Evans, though, and I know that a lot of players like this, but I think he thinks the game really well. And I think that with players like that, there's always a misconception that skating is the, the number one thing, but like you could fix player strides. Like look at Mason Marchman, who was like Bambi, and then his stride got better. So I think that IQ is a really, really telling gift or asset for a player to have because what you're getting from them is you're getting someone that's willing to learn, adapt, and evolve. And Evans has a good enough base of a skill set that I think that. I don't want to see the sky's limit because again, I just kind of capped his upside, but I think that he very well could become an NHL regular in a year or two. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. There's going to be opportunity there. There Carson Susie's an unrestricted free agent after this year, Justin Schultz and Jacob Megna have one year remaining on their contracts beyond next season. So there will be opportunities there. And there's a couple RFAs as well. Sure. I'm they'll have some cap space. They can, they can sign some free agents or make some trades and address the openings other ways, but he is their 
He's their number one defenseman prospect, and Ty Nelson is closing yeah. closing the gap a little bit. But after that, it's there's not really anyone else who's knocking but, on the door for them. To contrary, though, we'll say in terms of if opportunity, I'm not so sure. Like I, I could see Seattle bringing in some pieces in the offseason. and I see that because it's like okay, look at the the cupboard. Let's pretend that the the prospects the Kraken are in a little uh, snack cupboard, right? Let's say there's like, I don't know what's a ba- universal bad snack. If you want like chips and I was like, Hey, we have like cans of tuna. It's like, Whoa, that sucks. I'm going to the store, get something else. So just because he's the next in line, doesn't mean I'm going to have him on Super Bowl Sunday. So yeah, maybe he's next there, but I, I, I would assume that uh, Ron Francis and co will be going to the store sometime soon before we see Riker hoisted into that next role next year. One one thing about Evans too is that and and by the way you were right spot on Jacob he is hovering right around ten percent star potential in hockey prospecting. One thing about him is that he was drafted as an overager, so he had mm-hmm. a really spike season in that D plus one year that was his actual draft season because he went undrafted after his first WHL first two WHL seasons. So that's that's an important thing. And so he's he's a little bit older and maybe a little bit closer to being NHL ready as you said, but maybe there's a lower ceiling there. Well, and also too, with a guy like that is he doesn't play the game. Like he's five eleven, and let's face it. When, whenever the number is less than six, we have to have this disclaimer. Like he, he doesn't play like he's five eleven. I think with, with, which we kind of alluded to here. So I think that Evans is a guy where he won't have trouble like getting the trust of Dave Haxler or whatnot. I don't think that's why I just think that he, he's a late bloomer. He's still only 21. I think that he's developing later. I don't think that the gradual progression is next year. He's, he's in the NHL, right? Like you can go from the WHL to the AHL and then instantly to pro and, and whatnot, but getting to the NHL is a whole other animal and people seem to forget that sometimes. Let's talk about the next guy who I think is going to get there much quicker than Riker Evans. He already played some NHL games and that's David Yudicek. Sixth overall last year for Columbus in 2022, came to North America, mainly played in the AHL, 38 points in 55 games. In fact, ridiculous production for a teenager defenseman in the AHL. Really incredible. Was playing over 20 minutes, had pretty good peripheral coverage too. We were talking about that earlier. He should be a hits and blocks and shots machine, although he didn't, he wasn't incredible with that this year, but he's also a teenager adapting to the North American game. So give him a little bit of slack there. We got to saw we got to see four NHL games from him. I watched most of those, and there were some really good times and some really bad times, uh, which is kind of to be expected in your first action. But uh, you know, he he definitely is someone who looks like he's tracking to be in the NHL sooner than later. I don't know if maybe Columbus gives him another year to develop, but tell us how ready David Yedichek is, and what should we kind of expect from him? Maybe when he does kind of break through. I'd be shocked if he wasn't in the Blue Jackets lineup opening night next year. I think that David Yerchek could have 100% played for them this year. And by that same token, I think Columbus made the complete correct decision in sending him down to the Monsters. Yerchek is, he has number one defenseman written all over him. He checks off almost every box. You know, he, he's one of those guys where he, he blends the, the old age scouts, the new age guys kind of together because he, he, he has everything. And, he, and he ha- he's one of those guys where he's durable. Like he can play 22, 25 plus minutes a night for you effortlessly. And even the stretch run, you saw it because, you know, Cleveland wasn't going to make or they were trying to make the playoffs at the end of the year, but it was kind of tight. Um, and then it became clear they weren't going to make it. Columbus wasn't going to make it. So they kind of had him yo-yoed or he'd be playing a bunch of games in Cleveland going up to the NHL. And didn't skip a beat. 
was able to go up and down. He only played four NHL games, but when he was in, it was it was seamless. There, there wasn't much of an adjustment period. Six foot three, right shot. Guys like that don't grow on trees. I love his poise, and I think that a lot of people don't talk about it enough. And David Yerchuk is one of those guys where he could be a number one. Like he could be a number one defenseman. Maybe not right away, but I think in due time, he very well could. And that comes down to, as I just mentioned before, durability. Coaches will, will very quickly have him as one of their guys when he's on their roster because he can do everything. He, he's hard to play against. He's got good tools, intangibles, if you want to say. I like his edge work. I like the way he defends the rush. I, and I, I said it before, poise, but I, I just, you watch defensemen carry the puck. And when I say poise, it's kind of that feeling where it's like, you know, like, you know, they can make a play right now. And, or rather, you know, that they're, they're going to make the smart play. I think Yerchik has all of that checked off without a doubt. So now what I think is going to be interesting is who will he play with next year? And I think Columbus will be aggressive. I think in terms of this offseason in general, they're going to be trying to add pieces. They have draft capital. They have room, whatever. But it kind of like in, in Ottawa, I, remember, I recall whether it was JB, uh, JBD, like Jacob Darb Docker or Sanderson, maybe you, one of you guys would know this. I remember when they got was it Hamannick or so? I think it was Hamannick about it. He was supposed to be, they kind of saw him as someone that could play with one of their young prospects. Anyways, it happens a lot in the NHL. I think you'll still with year check. We'll see a left shot guy brought in. What maybe it's, maybe they just put him with Wierenski. I don't know, but I think that they'll try to find guys that could really help and accelerate his game and get the best out of him. But yeah, I, I'm telling you, this guy is, is an opening night regular and you'll, you won't see him in the AHL again. I firmly believe that. Yeah, he'll be widely rostered in in fantasy leagues. So there's a lot of people who are maybe disappointed that they didn't make the team out of the great out of the draft, but shouldn't be surprised. And I think they won't have to sit on him for long before they'll be able to roster him. Uh, so the next guy up we're talking about is Connor Zary, six foot center, drafted by the Calgary Flames back in 2020. So 24th overall in the first round. Been sitting on him for a little bit. He's a prolific scorer from the WHL. He scored 25 points in 53 games as an AHL rookie this year, but has had a breakout season as a sophomore this year, I should say, with 21 goals and 37 assists for 58 points in 72 games. Second on team scoring behind veteran Matthew Phillips. Calgary Langros were a pretty strong team this year. Uh, so Zeri had uh, a lot to work with, played on a, a key role on the team, but only has three points in six playoff games as for when I prepared this show anyways, the other day. So Jacob, from what you've seen from Zari this year, it is competition for a roster spot with the likes of Matt Phillips, Jacob Pelche, Matthew Coronado, some other pretty high profile prospects coming on. Who do you give the advantage to for playing in the NHL next year? What are the impacts that the coaching change in Calgary could have on these players? I personally believe that Zari will be a center at the next level, or rather, I think that at least Calgary will try to have him as a center, right? Who knows if it, if it shakes out that way, maybe it's down the line, but I kind of foresee that being his bread and butter at the next level. It's interesting because yeah, he kind of popped off this year in some ways, but he had a bit of injuries um, in Stockton in last year and, and the flames affiliate has been really stacked the last two years. And it's easy for a guy like that to be kind of caught in the dust with a dynamic age, talent like Phillips and, and all these kind of guys. And now you mentioned, you know, the other pieces that are there, Pelche and, and, and so on and so forth. So with Karazari, it's like, I see him as a middle six center. Like I think the floor is like a third line guy and the ceiling is a second line guy. Now the question is like, is he a power play person? 
Is he someone that you foresee being in that role? My instinct would be no. This is a similar comparison, but I don't want to get too married to it. But like Jack Drury is a guy where it's like you watched him and you're like, okay, I can see him becoming a guy that coaches will love, being an NHL regular and all those things pretty effortlessly. I can say that. But do I see the offensive pop that makes me think power play? It's like, uh, not really. And you can usually kind of tell, right? So it's like, that's kind of where I'm at with Zari. Now, the guys you just mentioned, like, if you're casting who's going to be the bottom six kind of guy, I think that he his profile fits that more. And maybe they bring him up prematurely next year to be in that third line role and then learn the ropes. And hopefully down the line, the offense or the production or the opportunity comes. But I also want to be surprised because we also don't know who's coming at the GM. We don't know the climate and what the aspirations are, what the depth chart makeup will be. If he starts next year in the AHL and then works his way up by, you know, you usually get the the second wave of, of cookie call-ups, I call them, because you get a little cookie for doing well in, in December or uh, even November sometimes. That's when you usually see them. I think that's kind of where, as of now, I would say he slots in. If they're looking, like if you want to look at an everyday NHL player, of the guys you mentioned, I think he's number one. Upside kind of in the middle there i don't know i i just i don't see a player that i'm not overly familiar with the the future rules but understanding the premise i don't think he's someone i would necessarily be super high on even with his his strong sophomore age all season it certainly doesn't hurt that they're going to have a different coach there one that's maybe a little bit more i mean we don't you don't have a coach yet, so we don't know but perhaps someone who's a little bit more amenable Reasonable. to to going with some prospects yeah well it's it's, it's funny because it's like the entire pecking order has been changed now, right? Because even though it'll be interesting what they do with Dustin Wolf too, right? Like it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they prioritize, what they value and also how much leash they'll be giving to younger players, right? They're, they're coming off a coach that, that seemingly for lack of a better word, uh, hated youth. So we'll see where they line on that side of the spectrum. But yeah, Zari's like just kind of one of those guys where like coaches will rave about him and you'll, you'll read how great and reliable he is, but it's like, he doesn't have that pop. Like, has there been a player over the last like 10, 20 years where like they didn't have that quote unquote subjective pop and then the power play, sorry, the NHL, they become a, a perennial power play guy. It's like, you don't really see that, right? Like you're usually, you got a pretty good idea of who could become a power play guy and who just, that won't be their game at the next level. I think with Zari, I'm kind of teetering towards, he, he won't be a special teams guy. For power well, the guys, the guys that don't have the offensive pop that make it to the power play plant themselves in front of the net. And uh, that's, yeah. that's, I don't know if that's going to be Zari's thing. I mean, he's six foot, so he's not, he's not little, but I don't think he takes up enough space in front of the goalie. Yeah. Well, it also to like his game, like he, Connor Zari produces offense kind of, you mentioned definitely like down low and in the middle of the ice. Yeah. The only guy I can think of is Stefan Nason, you know, someone yeah. who didn't really do much and was kind of, you that know, would be a just, great example. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but that's more, I think, Carolina's system, right? Just put him in that spot and let him be annoying. And they just shoot from the puck and he taps them in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cr- I cannot believe what we've seen from him this year. It's pretty hilarious. I would have never thought he'd be this, even though he had a great HL year last year. Those guys usually kind of flame out and, and burn like it sizzle away in, in these leagues. But hey, credit to him. It's an awesome story. Let's move on to the next guy, Lucas Reichel, 17th overall pick from Chicago in 2020. 
He, he's been basically a point per game or better in the AHL the last two seasons. Got to see him at the end of this season, and he put up 15 points in 23 games. He finished with the highest point pace of anyone on the Blackhawks at the end of the season. And the Blackhawks are going to add some guy named Connor Bedard this offseason. And so he might get to play with Lucas Reichel. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with them. Certainly, if Reichel gets to play with Bedard, that would be really amazing for his production. But I have to assume Reichel is going to be in the NHL next season. And what do you think we can expect from him, Jacob? Yeah, in terms of the depth chart, like I, I think it'd be, you know, even if they add some guys and let's say they even cash in their draft capital for players, it's pretty safe to say that Reichel probably in the NHL. I'm, I'm really high on Lucas Reichel. I love his game. I love what he brings. I thought he had disappointing playoffs for starters, but also I didn't like the way Chicago kind of dealt with development. There was like an article in November, I remember, where he talked to someone, I think he's from The Athletic, like the Hawks like wanted to bring him up when he was like fully kind of ready and consistent, all those things, because he kind of trails off in games. These things maybe don't seem important in a league where we're projecting future stars, but like I, the runway is really important for these guys, especially early on establishing. Like, like there's reasons why Alex Nylander isn't a star in the NHL. Other factors that go into being a contributor at the next level. So I guess I'll start on like the deployment thing. Like there was a big thing about how in in November how they want to have him already, whatever. And I thought they brought him up right around the deadline when they started, you know, tearing down their roster of the studs. And I was like, okay, like I'm all for giving the guy a call up, but it's also like, I don't know, like, don't you want him to like actually earn it? And that's kind of my philosophy with it. I think that couple of games makes total sense. I just, I think they maybe had him up there for too long. I thought he was frankly kind of invisible in the playoffs. Rockford was all kind of out of sync and they had transactions everywhere, but dynamic skill, threat off the rush, great passer. His shots a lot better than I initially gave credit. I see him as a guy that is definite power play upside, like PP one kind of guy. What's interesting about Bedardi mentioned is they, their games actually could complement each other quite well because while Reichel isn't crazy fast and like isn't an elite skater, he, he's got good skating, but he's an elite or whatever. His ability to make plays for the neutral zone and in traffic and whatnot is a good skill of his. So I think that pairing that with a guy like Bedard is natural and would make a lot of sense. So I think, I mean, I'm sure you guys are advising anyone to to pick up any Blackhawk that has a chance to play with Bedard for the next 10 years. So uh, yeah, that alone makes him pretty attractive as an asset. But yeah, I, I just... I, not a sour taste, but the way that things ended off, it just could have been so much more from him. I thought maybe the way the Blackhawks looking at it is like, oh yeah, Lucas Reichel did well enough in the NHL. Or he got his first NHL game, uh, had a good year, whatever. But I don't know. I thought there was another level he could have reached, especially in, in the tail end of the year. And and clearly he was affected by what I call the elevator, which is when you're going up and down, and up and down, NHL, AHL, NHL, AHL. And you kind of get in this funk where you can't really develop a rhythm. And I thought we saw Lucas Reckless up the year. So that's also an important caveat. Cause as I said, love a skill set. Like I, I think he's a, a top six forward for sure. I think the world of him, I think he's creative. He's sometimes downright dynamic. Like there's moments where I watched him and I was like, damn, like that is a, pl- that, that is a, a, when I say playmaker, I don't mean like a strictly pass first guy, but that's a guy that just makes plays and something out of nothing. He can drive your play, get you in the ozone it's going to be true to see how he fares in the NHL season. And this is what I was talking about, about the cookie call up or get just having a call up over an 82 game season. Like, I don't know how durable he's going to be because a lot of the NHL chances he had were kind of 
you know, they were, he'd be in the lineup and be out or uh, he'd come up and I'm sure adrenaline would help, but like, how will he be during the first full year? You don't want to be in a situation where next year you have to put him in or two years from now, you're putting him in Rockford again. Like you have with Carmichael McMichael or Phil Tomasino, different cases. Sure. But you don't want to, to, to cheat this, right? Even if he's the next best guy in the left wing depth chart, is his game complete enough for the next level? Listen, he'll be in the NHL next year and, and I'm not saying he shouldn't be, but be sure to see kind of how it, it works as he moves up the ladder. So it sounds like he's a player that's kind of trending up though. Next thing I want to talk about is a player who he's trended up and then I think he's maybe trending down a little bit right now. That's Jordan Spence, five foot 10, right shot defenseman, drafted by the Los Angeles Kings, fourth round, 95th overall back in 2019. So he's been a few years since his draft. His fantasy value skyrocketed in his final year in junior, I should say, where he broke out for 10 goals and 30 assists for 40 points in 32 games. And then he had 20 more in the playoffs. Followed that up with an AHL rookie season with Ontario, where he was excellent. Further moving the needle in his rankings on the depth chart in LA with 42 points in 46 games as an AHL rookie. He even played in 24 NHL games and had eight points that year. Followed that up this year, his value kind of takes a hit and he only had 45 points in 56 games. I mean, only that's still pretty great for a defenseman, but it is a downtick in production. And he went from a plus minus of 18 to a minus 18. So I'm curious if that's more a team driven production. I don't follow the American Hockey League as well as you. So was uh, the rain a better team two years ago and they kind of went for a dump this year and you're only as good as your environment. And I guess the second question I'll hit you here, Jacob, Los Angeles Kings defense has some pretty good prospects on it. I mean, you're looking at Brant Clark, Jordan Spence, Tobias Bjornfort. You got Alex Edler, uh, Gavrikov, who are expiring contracts. What's the opportunity for for Spence? Is he still trending in the right direction? And you got yeah. his size as a factor as well, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the numbers first. Last year, Ontario was one of the best teams in the entire AHL. This year, they're one of the worst. So that's going to have an effect on the plus minus. The points as well, right? So you had a lot more weapons in Ontario last year. This year, a lot of Ontario's best players that are on the team weren't all there together. It was kind of a, a lot of personnel turnover. And, and with that, a guy like Spence's numbers will be affected. Jordan Spence is an interesting case. I think that a lot of times when this happens, where a guy like him has the year he has last year and then is with the NHL team and is like pretty good in, in like, number four defense in minutes. It doesn't really look out of place. We kind of get in this sort of like, okay, they bang the table. They need to be in right away. And I'm not saying that Jordan Spence doesn't because from what I saw last year, at least like going to this year, I remember thinking Jordan Spence could be an NHL player. I don't know if that's opinion has really changed though this year. Cause this is what I think people forget about is like, okay, there's a lot of say NHL caliber guys, but opportunity is such a big thing. Ellie's in a situation here where they have so many defense prospects let alone defensemen. Are they probably going to deal like a Sean Dursey? Like maybe like they have so many defensemen. They've got to maximize. So there are so many bodies in front of Spence and Pecky order. Now it comes down to like maximizing your asset value. Like, well, does, is he attractive to other teams? Maybe, but because someone asked you about this, like, I don't think he's a centerpiece of any big trade coming in. Like he's not going to be a, a trade trip, a trade chip. Part of me that Ellie can dangle for a Connor Hellebuck for a, any kind of star player that that maybe fits what they need. So there's that element to it. I, I think Jordan Spence is a very smart hockey player. I think he 
he moves the puck well, but I think he also react. He's got instincts. Sorry, that's the word I was looking for. He's he's very he's very capable of handling a lot of situations. I was impressed last year. Hey, he went from the AHL to the NHL. Uh, seamlessly, and he had a good fair amount of runaway action in the NHL. Uh, all those 24 games came together. He played well. I'm not necessarily overly confident that after even everything I just said that he's going to be an NHL regular, or sorry, um, that he's going to be an impactful NHL player because there's a lot of players that are like Jordan Spence. I think a guy like Riker Evans, who we just mentioned before, has a bit more bite to his game in certain ways and a bit more sort of physical t- tool, like upside right? Like you think there could be more, he can fill into what he has and, and evolve where Spence is kind of, you know, and age matters too, right? Like how old Spence 22, 23. So the narrative changes, right? It becomes, what can you do for us now? I think a lot of people always want to see teams trade their prospects when their asset is quote unquote at the highest. I think that people are, are a little out to lunch as to when that really is. I don't know if we know that or if, if, cause, cause teams always overrate their own guys and they always like their own chess pieces. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Spence was in the NHL for a good chunk of next year. If I were a betting man, I would not be banking on him becoming a top four defenseman. I'm glad you said the teams overvalue their their own players because I overvalue the prospects that are on my roster. I thought I was right. the only one. Right. Interesting with, with Spence, I think if he makes it to the NHL, it's going to be as an offensive driving defenseman. He doesn't bring the other intangibles or peripherals that Riker Evans or a lot of other guys do. And at five foot ten. He's got to be really, really good at at driving the offense and transition. All right. So let's move on to the next guy. You alluded to him earlier. Marco Rossi drafted ninth overall in 2020 by the Wild. He fell a little bit later, not because of his production, because of his size, five foot nine. He's still five nine at 21 years old. He put up two stellar seasons in the AHL, 53 points in 63 games last season and almost a point per game this season, 51 points in 53 games. I know most fantasy GMs and people are kind of focusing on his one assist in 19 NHL games. But again, we're talking about a very good Minnesota Wild team that had, you know, aspirations of going on a deep playoff run. If you look at his, you know, kind of star potential on hockey prospecting, he's still in that 60 plus percent range, which is really good. And he kind of rates out as guys like Daniel Briere, who's like a star producer. Some other models maybe are a little bit cooler on him, like the PNHLE. But the reality is that he's been incredibly productive at the HL level, but has had a hard time breaking through. Now, I'm not sure if that's, you know, like I said, because it's a it's a good team and he's had a hard time breaking in, or maybe he just is going to be unable to translate those skills to the NHL from the AHL. So Jacob, this is where you're going to enlighten us. What do you see from Rossi? And can he finally break through at the next level? Great question. So I wrote a story about Marco Rossi and uh, I interviewed Bill Guerin, Marco Rossi, Tim Army, who is the now former head coach. One thing I learned in reporting on the story, not learned, but just one thing that's became really important is like Marco Rossi is not your typical five foot nine center that scores over 100 points in his draft year. He's not like Nick Patan, where he's a small, super skilled guy and you're like, okay, like great offense, but like, does he have the other intangibles and, and all those things that kind of go into being an everyday NHL player? Marco Rossi, when he was in the NHL for the 19 games this year, he was very much, you know, equipped to be an everyday NHL player, right? The, the, the big problem was he wasn't producing points. And Bill Guerin said to me, you know, and I'll quote it. He's a guy we're going to rely on to produce. To what level? We don't know yet. Uh, that's what he told us in the hockey news. I know that's a really good point because that is the real mystery. Now, another thing I will say, 
big step Marco Rossi has taken this year compared to last year is the offensive point totals went up, sure, but also the inner slot chances. So right in front of the net, upgraded this year compared to last year. And that's really interesting. When I talk about scoring chances, that's the whole home plate. This is the right in front of the net. So the home plate of the home plate, like right right in the, the goalie's grill. I think that's very promising for Rossi. He's kind of a guy described as you have to to tell him to to kind of, you don't need to be so responsible, kind of be aggressively um, enough. I will say, I think this year, Rossi's improvements at the HL level have not diminished my questions about how good he will be at the next level, fantasy-wise, let's say. Okay, so I want to say, though, that I think without a doubt, his floor uh, is a very good second-line center. Kind of like, in terms of impacts, the way that like Phil Deneau was kind of utilized. That, that's that's a big praise. And I know that. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying that Mark Ross is the next Phil Deneau. But sort of like this weapon you have that you can match up against the other team's top line down the line. And, and it becomes so crucial when you're line matching. And coaches love to have it. I think Rossi could be that at the very least. I think his raw talent is just too good for him to not be the 50-60 point player, power play one kind of guy. I think he makes so much sense in a variety of spots on on the Wild's first power play unit. I think him and Kaprizov could develop a great deal of chemistry, let alone Boldy. But I think Kaprizov in particular and him could really jive well. I think if I had to guess, I think that Ross, he'll figure it out. I think he'll become a, a maybe a excellent 2C, lower end 1C kind of guy. I I think he's extremely intelligent. I think his, and also like his tools are great. He's got a wicked release, right? He's got a wicked set of hands and tight. Like there, there's so much to love about it. And then you pair in the fact that He's relied on to be like your number one penalty killer was was taking all these reps. And remember, he misses entire draft year plus one season. We have these cutoffs, right? Where we're all like, oh, the guy's born October. So they're this year. We have these weird arbitrary cutoffs where we start distinguishing guys. Oh, well, he's drafted plus one. Oh, he's a, a draft year guy. Like all those things. Like, can we give Marco Rossi a bit of credit? Like the guy missed an entire year. And the fact that like in last year, towards the end, fatigue really got him and you could see it. Right. And he kind of tapered off and, and to be expected this year, a real full or a bulk of the year in the American League after, you know, the NHL. He, listen, he proved he could be an everyday NHL player. And I think that's something that like he, he was I think he led the NHL. No, he, he led the NHL in preseason scoring September sweetheart, though. Right. This always kind of happens. Then the regular season starts and it's like, oof. All right. Hold up. You know, he's still got a problem here. So. But what's lost in that is he did become an everyday NHL player for a good amount of games. They just want him to come down, for lack of a better word, dominate or play freely, whatever it may be. Get those reps with the puck. It's so important for these guys in their formative years. I think Ross will figure it out. I really do. And, I, and as I'll say it again, excellent 2C kind of guy. But in terms of your fantasy kind of thing, I think lower 1C with, with power play upside. That's where I would peg him at. Yeah, I think an important distinction to mention too, Jacob, you said that he he lost a year of development. A lot of players lost a year of development because of COVID and weren't able to play anywhere, especially the OHL players. But he lost a year of fitness and development and he wasn't focusing on hockey. He was just trying to not die. He had COVID in the worst way where it was like a life-threatening situation for him. So, you know, while some guys were, were, were not playing games, they're still working out in the gym, practicing, skating. He was just trying to not die. And I think that gets kind of lost in, in the shuffle sometimes. And it mattered. It makes, how could it not make a difference? So one last guy, Alexander Holtz. Six foot right winger drafted in 2020, seventh round by the Devils. He's got a high draft 
pedigree backed by some impressive production from the Swedish J20 level. At the SHL, as a teenager, he produced there as well. After two seasons in the American Hockey League, he's got 33 goals, 32 assists, 65 points in 75 games, or 0.86 point per games, which is not Mm -hmm. bad. Yeah, pretty good. He's played 28 NHL games, but has six points in the NHL so far. He's the devil's top forward prospect. He's a sniper with a lot of fantasy upside. And it seems the Devils value him very highly as well, as they were unwilling to include him in the trade for Timo Meyer or anyone else at the trade deadline. What do you think he needs to do to be successful in the American Hockey League and the and the National Hockey League? And why has he not had the same level of production at the NHL? I think with Holtz, I don't want to put too much stock into this one year, but I think last year, like I was just so high on Holtz. Like I loved what he was doing for Utica and I just loved his skill set. I love the way he can attack and I, I he's a scoring chance machine. In terms of in zone offense, like Holtz has so much potential and I think he'll be a, a top six piece. The question with Holtz is, is always sort of not just consistency, but sort of like versatility or rather a lack thereof. So it's like Holtz has a potential to be a great complimentary piece, especially for the Devils, the way they play stylistically the pieces they have. It's just like kind of a firing range, right? It had that high volume of shots. You know, I'm sure power play, maybe second unit, given the personnel they have. I don't know. But the problem is when he's not playing with certain guys, he can really fade in the background. He doesn't drive play single-handedly like other premier prospects, put it that way. So if he's not with certain guys that, that are good in transition or, or good four checkers or, or just kind of good support pieces for in-zone offense or getting into the zone rather and staying there, he can kind of become irrelevant. I don't know if I'm contextualizing this right, but that's kind of where the hurdle lies, in my opinion, is like making himself an everyday NHL player, making himself uh, not a situational guy. Because, hey, there's a lot of guys in, in the NHL and HL you could put on PP1 and they could sling the biscuit and, and look cool and like do a little wrist twirl or whatever. But can you trust them out there for 10 minutes a night? Those things matter. And I think that's kind of barrier Holtz is having. The release on a shot, though, like he can't give that up. You can't, like he, he really, he's caught a crazy shot and you look at the depth chart like there's definitely a spot on the left flank for him right there like it's it it could be pretty crazy for him the one thing i would worry about him is he kind of screams of like i could see him coming to the nhl next year scoring 20 goals 25 goals next year maybe 30 whatever and then i wouldn't be surprised if you saw a brock besser type slide where you got a good goal scorer that maybe isn't producing that much in, in driving play similar to Holtz and where the pucks aren't going in, you see a general regression. That would be the one with what I see from Alex Holtz this year, kind of right now. And not withstand the fact he's had some injury problems, right? Which is kind of beyond his control and, and has uh, sensed some of his, his growth and runaway and development. But that's kind of what I would worry about a guy like him. If he doesn't refine and, and fine tune the overall game and, and the consistency is a big part of that. Great insights there, uh, Jacob, on Holtz. And I think that's very reasonable, especially with the the Besser comparison. You mentioned the great player cards that you do. I have been a big fan of those. And I wonder if there's a place where we can find them because I usually just look for them whenever you tweet them out. But is there, is there a location where people can go to that? Uh, no, let's take a poll now. If, if there's enough people that want to pay for it, maybe I'll consider it. But uh, I keep them in house for now so that people like yourself, lovely hockey fans can have a reason to come check it out. I'll probably do uh, like a request and I'll shoot you guys a DM so you can retweet it or whatever of like requests and I'll try to get to everyone's. But for now, there's not. 
people seem to like them. I'm glad. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll try to get some more out there. We should do a poll. Do, do you want Jacob Stoller to make these available on some kind of and how and how much would you pay? <laughs> is, the, is yeah. the real question because if it's a dollar it's not doing it well why don't you tell our listeners where they can follow your work and keep up with all the great stuff that you're doing yeah i'm at the hockey news if you're a magazine reader you'll see me in there i write most issues i host our hl podcast the hockey news on the a podcast i also host uh actually to our echl one i'm one of the hosts for that and then you know i write about everything right now i'm, I'm doing a story on the whl playoffs which is kind of cool i haven't really done that before um, some junior stuff. I wrote something on Nashville's prospects. I did some NHL stuff this year. I do kind of everything. So yeah, hockeynews.com, Jacob Stoller, and you'll find my blogs there pretty frequently. Awesome. Thanks so much for all your great insights on these guys. Unreal. Thanks for having me, guys. Our pleasure, Jacob. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dauber Prospects Report, report number five. For feedback on the show and chat with us, you can follow on Twitter at DPR underscore show is the show. At Farling is Peter. At Victor Nuno 12 is me. And at Sabarin 91 is our producer, Evan. Definitely like and subscribe to the show. Give us a rating. We would very much appreciate it. And check back next time for the next Dauber Prospects Report. Let's do that hockey.